Hi, everyone, and welcome back to The Debrief. Today, we're talking about the Holy Father returning home from hospital, and then we have the Papal Nuncio delivering a message to the U.S. bishops, and then an overview of the social media document. Uh, this and maybe a little more in just a second as we invite Mike on the show. Bonjour. Hey, Mike, welcome back to The Debrief. It's our weekly show where we're talking about news, questions, and controversies facing the Catholic Church. I'm Dominic, the founder of Smart Catholics. And I'm Mike, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of the website wherepeteris.com. So this morning, .com, yes. This morning, the Holy Father was discharged from Gemelli Hospital following his abdominal surgery on June 7th. Vatican News reported that before returning to Casa Santa Marta, he stopped to pray before the icon of the Blessed Mother at Santa Maria Maggiore, and he paid a private visit to greet some sisters who were visiting Rome for the meeting of the general chapter of their order. Do you know any additional specifics about his condition, Mike? Uh, nothing really. I mean, according to the doctors in the Vatican press office, uh, there were no complications with his surgery. Uh, his recovery proceeded as usual. And wonderful. As And he was able to make uh, those brief appearances, especially the customary visit to St. Maria Maggiore or St. Mary Major Basilica, um, mm -hmm. whenever he embarks on some travel or some mission. So, yeah, I, I heard that while he was in the hospital, he went and spent time in the children's cancer ward. Um, and he already started getting back to work. Do you have any idea when he'll return to his usual activities? Yeah, so I think, I think obviously, as we always say, he's 86 years old, so there can always be complications. But the Vatican uh, says that things are going along as expected. Um, his spokesman said he might even be feeling better than he was in the days leading up to the surgery. Um, wow. He is scheduled to make his first public appearance on June 18th, which is the day okay. um, that was indicated before. It's the um, Sunday Angelus address that he gives, I believe, at 10 a.m. And uh, they have canceled his Wednesday audience on the 21st because, you know, being out in St. Peter's Square for that long, they just want to assist his recovery. Mm -hmm. um, but he is scheduled to travel. Um, he's going, he's planning to go to Portugal for World Youth Day from August 2nd to 6th. And then he has a trip to Mongolia. He's headed out at the end of August and will be there until early September. So it seems that his travel plans are still on track and that World Youth Day, which, by the way, where Peter is, uh, contributors, uh, Claire uh, Navarro Dominguez and Pedro Gabriel, husband and wife, they will both be uh, on the ground at World Youth Day. They live in Portugal. So it's just wow. a hop, skip and a jump to, to Lisbon. So that's going to that's going to be exciting to hear what comes out comes from absolutely them. okay so and uh, if anybody wants any additional d information on this we do have a link in the comments or not the comments the um description the show notes show notes, so, show notes. oh and to, yeah go ahead and one other thing that i just wanted to mention is uh, also in the show notes i'm uh adding a uh an explainer uh written by colleen dully of america basically okay. it, the the headline is what the vatican tells people when the pope is sick um, obviously we hear about, we recently experienced the death of Queen Elizabeth and their special wording or coded language, or sometimes things are kept from the public in this mm -hmm. era of social media, really beginning with John Paul's papacy, 
the the Pope's illnesses and and health conditions, there's the speculation is wider. Mm -hmm. So obviously, okay. um, that's been evolving, but it's an interesting read. So I recommend that. Good deal. Okay, speaking of an interesting read, uh, this week the U.S. bishops met in Orlando for their annual Spring Plenary Assembly, and last week we discussed that their meeting agenda didn't even include mention of the Global Synod. And so yesterday you published an article about the speech that Archbishop Christophe Pierre gave to the bishops, and you wrote, Pierre asked the U.S. bishops to revisit their understanding of the synodal path and the role of the Eucharist in evangelization. So... Okay, can you share with us some of the things that he noted? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, as we mentioned last week, the uh, the U.S. Church seems to be an outlier when it comes to understanding and implementing Pope Francis's vision. Archbishop Pierre and I started the show with a bonjour as a tribute to uh, to our French uh, oh, papal really ambassador. Okay. Um, he, uh, you know, every every single bishops' meeting. Uh, where the, the U.S. bishops are assembled, he tries to emphasize to them the importance of, of the un, of union with Peter, tries to remind them that this synodal process isn't over. The, the title of this global synod, the Synod on Synodality, is called, it's called For a Synodal Church, mm -hmm. which what we're trying to do is to build a church that models synodality. There are plenty of documents on synodality. There's an 18, uh, 2018, sorry, not 1817, 2018 document by the International Theological Commission that lays out the relationship between synodality and the Second Vatican Council, the mm -hmm. theological and traditional roots of the synod, and where it is, where we're planning to go forward with the synod. Unfortunately, the U.S. bishops have largely treated this as oh, well, let's put out a questionnaire, or uh, we we did what we were supposed to do, we we filed our doc, we had our listening sessions, we filed our documents, and now it's on to the next thing, on to the next project. Um, the nuncio seems very concerned um, that the U.S. bishops have not embraced this. Uh, he even said, and I'm quoting, it may be that we are still struggling to understand synodality. Perhaps it has been hard for us to embody this style of God. Perhaps the adventure of this journey has made us a bit fear fearful of the unknown. And I think that a lot of the American bishops are used to structured programs with beginnings and ends and goals. Mm -hmm. Synodality and the purpose of for a synodal church is to develop the church's way of, and I know people, a lot of conservative Catholics hate this phrase, but being church. How mm -hmm. do we be church? How are we church? Um, a lot of us have a very spectator-oriented view of the church, where mm -hmm. we we watch, we comment, we critique. Um, yeah. It's like it's like following baseball, um, almost uh -huh. rooting for your favorite bishops or rooting for such and such a pope, or or even probably even more like like politics. Like mm -hmm. we're on team. Francis, we're on Team Burke. Um, if you're going to be on a team, hopefully everyone on the team is on Team Francis, because the Pope is the successor of Peter, and he's the um, visible source of unity in the church. But obviously, uh, Archbishop Pierre had some words for them, mm -hmm. and who knows if they took them to heart. Well, he went on to say, 
The Eucharist is a sacrament for mission. A Eucharistic revival, therefore, is a call to let the entirety of our lives be an expression of the Lord's presence among us, a living out of the union that exists between our humanity, which Christ has taken to himself, and the divinity into which he leads us. Okay, so what message do you think he's trying to deliver there? So basically, I think that this uh, the talking point has developed where, and we've discussed it before, where the U.S. church is perceived as pitting this Eucharistic revival at mm-hmm. the center of their vision, at the center of their planning, based on learning about the real presence, based on traditional Eucharistic devotions and traditional catechesis. And this approach, if looked at strictly, if we're just talking about processing with the Eucharist as a sign to the world or uh, in order to make a statement that the Catholic Church is strong and stands for something, it's neglecting in large part the synodal element, which Archbishop Pierre and a number of other bishops have pointed out can be tied closely, can be tied closely to the Synod, but only if we look at the Eucharist in its full dimension. Mm-hmm. We look if we look at the the work of the liturgy, which sends us forth out into the world as missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I have another quote from Archbishop Pierre which says to teach the doctrine of the real presence, to promote Eucharistic adoration, and Mm -hmm. to take our Lord in procession. These initiatives will undoubtedly bear fruit on the lives of the faithful. These are good things. And that's one of the things people who are criticizing the direction of the Eucharistic revival are often accused of trashing processions or, Mm -hmm. you know, ditching uh, adoration or or undermining that, that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ are truly present in the bread and the wine. But that's not the point. The point is that the Eucharistic revival, as presented by the bishops and by many of the people who are promoting it, is only giving part of the picture. Mm -hmm. And Archbishop Pierre said, but the fruit will multiply only if the faithful learn that the Eucharist which they receive is meant to make them missionaries, to take the presence of Christ, which is now in them, to people who do not yet know the Lord. And in his speech, he gave the example of Bishop Dave O'Connell, who Mm -hmm. was a Los Angeles auxiliary bishop who was murdered in February. Um, His housekeeper's husband was very troubled, and he shot an unarmed bishop in his bed. And it's it's very shocking because a U.S. bishop hasn't been murdered in decades or, I think, the early 1900s maybe was the last time. Um, Mm -hmm. I did not know Bishop O'Connell personally. Mm -hmm. However, uh, I have several friends who did. One of them is Linda Dakin Grimm, who I don't know if you listened to the um, field hospital podcast that I did with Jeannie Gaffigan, but I believe she was the third or fourth episode. Mm -hmm. And she spoke about how she had been a corporate lawyer for a long time And she was inspired to become a pro bono immigration lawyer to help refugees and Mm -hmm. unaccompanied minors take care of their legal cases. And when Bishop O'Connell died, she said that he was 
the inspiration for the work that she does now. So she was heartbroken. Okay. But yeah. I think that's the type of synodality, someone who is Eucharist centered. He was mm -hmm. a priest, but he was a priest with a heart for mission. And mm -hmm. through his example, he was able to inspire others. So his work is actually continuing through people like Linda and through many people in, in the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, his native Ireland. I heard from actually an Irishman who uh, really loved him and thought that he was a wonderful, wonderful priest and then moved out to, to the United States and has still, you know, kept still kept up with him. So I think that that we need to look to these models of people who are spurred by their mm -hmm. faith in the Eucharist, mm -hmm. in their faith that God is with us, that Christ mm -hmm. is here present, truly present with us in the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean that in on multiple levels, as the church always yeah. does. The church yes. is the body of Christ. The Eucharist is the body of Christ. And we're all unified. So I, I think that um, if we focus on old-fashioned catechesis, if we don't focus on the good works of the church, something will be lost. Mm -hmm. Thus far, we're talking about a Eucharist revival in a stadium in Indianapolis. And for walking routes for, um, or I guess driving routes too, for pilgrimage uh, mm -hmm. of the Blessed Sacrament from across the country to Indianapolis. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are going to be parish events and there are going to be diocesan events, but it must be tied to the entire reality of the people of God mm -hmm. and our mission, our missionary discipleship in order to to truly bear fruit. Otherwise, we're just you know, lighting a match in, in the middle of, of the storm and it'll, it'll go out. So yeah. that, so that was a, those... that was a, a metaphor I made up on the fly. So maybe it's not the best one, but. Well, for, for those who want a little bit more uh, detail on this, you can check out Mike's, Mike's article on where Peter is. Uh, speaking of which you actually put out a new post on the um, ongoing situation with the Diocese of Fort Worth. We have the nuns versus their, the, the local bishop. Uh, we wanted to just briefly touch base on this. Most of the people know that you've written up something. Uh, can you yeah. share on that? And so all it is, is uh, we, we recorded on Friday. I think my article was early Friday morning. Mm -hmm. And over the weekend, on through about Monday or Tuesday, there were some significant developments, like Bishop Olson um, made a... a video statement and there's been there have been some responses there was a news story about people who were familiar with the inside of the carmel so as far as i know if you check out the link in the show notes or if you check out where peter is there's a big stamp that says latest updates just mm -hmm. uh just to keep you up to date uh, you know there's not a lot of um commentary in there it's just to keep it's you abreast of the, the situation thing. exactly yeah. good deal all righty talking of um you know what? I don't even know how to segue to the next thing. So let's just move on. Uh, May 28th, we're talking about the social media document. We've been talking about this for the last couple of weeks. And finally, we are coming towards this. And surprise, surprise, in the last couple of weeks, it's created some brouhaha online. Uh, so to recap, on May 28th, the Vatican's Dicastery for Communication released a document entitled Towards Full Presence A Pastoral Reflection on Engagement with Social Media. Can you give us some very broad strokes? what the document is about. Yeah. Well, first of all, it's it's a very interesting document. Um, it's one of the very first curial documents that's ever had a lay person's name 
as the author. Um, it doesn't have the signature of the Pope, obviously being a curial document. It does have Vatican weight behind it. I think Pope Francis likes to entrust his uh, dicasteries with their own areas of expertise and authority. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, I think it reflects very much the thinking of the church uh, when it comes to social media. I think okay. we've come a long way because reading the document, it seems to me that there is at least a fairly decent familiarity with the world of Catholic social media. My understanding is that some younger adults were helping with it, people who really are deeply familiar with the ins and outs of social media. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So the key aim of this document was to encourage purposeful and authentic connections in our digital interactions. The church accepts mm -hmm. that these tools are here to stay. Mm -hmm. And it and so rather than saying, don't use Twitter or don't use this or don't do that, um, these these uh, platforms and applications, they're tools. They're not necessarily good or bad. If there was a moral dimension to it, that might be different. But this is just in general, social mm -hmm. media. Um, it acknowledges that there has been a significant impact of the digital age on human relationships and spiritual growth. And I think this is an example of it right here. I mean, you and I have never met in person. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't for social media, a lot of the people that I've gotten to know in the last four or five years and people who I consider real friends, people mm -hmm. who I've met in real life and in person, if they've been, if we've happened to be in the same place at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it really is a, a fascinating tool and it can help build real relationships. It can help maintain long-term relationships. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Facebook and, and some of these websites, we, uh, we're at least casually in touch with people we went to high school with, or people will reach out to us that we haven't seen in, um, in decades. I mean, I just coincidentally, my sister's, um, best friend one from when she was five or six years old, I posted about my sister's, my sister's birthday was uh, the 14th this week. And um, I reposted my article about, about her passing and, mm -hmm. um, you know, wrote some words about her and my sister's best friend from kindergarten and first grade pipes in and, and I was shocked and we had a little exchange on a uh, direct message, but it was, I mean, it's, it's a small world, you know, somebody I yeah. never would have heard from again. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, she's doing well, she's married, she's got two little yes. kids. So um, very, very, uh, they can be tools for good, but yeah. obviously um, there are some negatives. And so the document emphasizes its emphasis is not on prescribing rules for social mm -hmm. media because social and social media and its dynamic changes so fast that it's basically the principles and the, and the way that we approach our use of social media. Mm -hmm. um, I think that one of the keys is remembering who we are and right. staying true to ourself. Mm -hmm. um, and so basically the reflection of the um, of the document or contained in the document, it encourages authenticity mm -hmm. and also authentic expressions of our faith in online spaces. Mm -hmm. um, and it uses the parable of the Good Samaritan 
um, as a guiding metaphor on how we rethink our roles when we when we use digital when we interact in the digital world. Okay. So let's get, I want to f focus with you on number 75, which has created a bunch of discussion on, on Twitter, which I had not heard anything about. Um, well, I'll so let you read I'm it curious. then. You can read it. You have your radio voice. So, so go ahead and, and, okay. and tell our listeners so, what it says. All right. So, so here's what it says that I skimmed it earlier. I thought I didn't see the problem. So I'm curious to have you unpack this. Number 75, be reflective, not reactive. The Christian style should be reflective, not reactive on social media. Therefore, we should all be careful not to fall into the digital traps hidden in content that is intentionally designed to sow conflict among users by causing outrage or emotional reactions. We must be mindful of posting and sharing content that can cause misunderstanding, exacerbate division, incite conflict, and deepen prejudices. Unfortunately, the tendency to get carried away in heated and sometimes disrespectful discussions is common with online exchanges. We can all fall into the temptation of looking for the speck in the eye of our brothers and sisters, Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 3, by making public accusations on social media, stirring up divisions within the church community, or arguing about who among us is the greatest, as the first disciples did. The problem of polemical and superficial and thus divisive communication is particularly worrying when it comes from church leadership, bishops, pastors, and prominent lay leaders. These not only cause division in the community, but also give permission and legitimacy for others, likewise, to promote similar types of communication. In the face of this temptation, often the best course of action is not to react or to react with silence, so as not to dignify this false dynamic. It's safe to say that this kind of dynamic does not build up. On the contrary, it causes great harm. Thus, Christians are called to show another way. In other words, don't feed the trolls um, and don't become a troll yourself. And I, and I guess maybe the framing of this as a controversial uh, well, it's very direct paragraph. To, it's, yeah. it's, I wouldn't say controversy. I would say it is probably, especially for those of us who float around Catholic social media, it is probably the most direct prescriptive advice mm -hmm. in, in the entire document. Um, and I think when they talk about falling into the digital traps hidden in mm -hmm. the content, um, now we know that a lot of these uh, social media companies deliberately they live on that yeah they live on controversy the idea mm -hmm. is they want you to see the content that mm -hmm. you're most likely to interact with yeah and as a as an extreme extrovert i can attest to the fact that sometimes <laughs> it is really really compelling um it's interesting to me that certain people uh see my tweets when we don't follow each other but then they keep coming back into into my uh responses um mm -hmm. people accuse you know they make accusations and it's funny because i think it can it can wear on any of us after a while mm -hmm. um there are certain point there a lot of these things are new to people i know people who um i mean one contributor who who contributed their first piece to where peter is several mm -hmm. months ago um 
was it was a fairly controversial piece and it was picked up on by a mm -hmm. number of very vocal critics mm -hmm. who roused the trolls from their slumber <laughs> and directed them at this person yeah. you know with all kinds of personal attacks and i've kind of reached the point where i know the personal attacks are coming and so i'm almost oblivious to ones mm -hmm. that aren't so searing and so crude and so mean um and false that i it, it's water off my back but this person was very upset and i i i felt like i should have warned them ahead of time mm -hmm. that that it shouldn't have um that this was coming um unfortunately we are in a space in religion where people are very emotionally bound up they're mm -hmm. very we're we tend to be very tied to our own convictions mm -hmm. as a matter of life or death. Um, if somebody is particularly annoying, and I mean, I don't even know who, I don't know if it's a 12 year old, I don't know if it's a, an adult with mental disabilities or something like that, but it's, um, you know, if someone gets annoying after a while, it can become easy to snap back or yeah. if they or if they make themselves if they say something ridiculous that's easily refutable or easily um you know easy to point out it, mm -hmm. it it's tough i think um there are uh sometimes when people post something especially egregious and this is i mean i know for example um there was a a priest who um from rhode island who recently uh pled guilty to uh, to receiving uh, child abuse images. Mm -hmm. And he had a number of defenders because he was a traditionalist. And wow. I think, you know, obviously people want to side with people who they share the beliefs of. Mm -hmm. um, and he was also one of the stars of that movie, Mass of the Ages. Okay. And, well, not the star. He was one of the interviewees, and there's about two minutes of footage okay. of him in Mass of the Ages. And Mass of the Ages decided that they weren't going to delete that footage from the movie. And some people were supportive of that. I was slightly horrified. I won't even say slightly. I was horrified by the idea of, you know, can't you just put it in Adobe Premiere Pro and delete those five minutes? You know, I, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, but I maybe I, I piled on a little bit too much or I targeted the person a little bit too much that had that opinion that I found particularly outrageous maybe um maybe they had a i don't know that they had a point but you know what i'm saying it's like it's like this it's yeah people, easy to jump into things it becomes easy to jump into things if something uh if you disagree with something so strenuously or if you yeah. find something entirely mm -hmm. anti yeah justice anti-goodness it's 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 tough what well, it, so intrigues me out of this document and i'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of hopefully god willing will come out in the next couple of months maybe are um maybe lay people or whoever parsing this document and breaking breaking it down into rules and patterns and habit things i mean if people if we followed what this were to say catholic twitter would fall silent by like 50 percent <laughs> um which is is not going to happen so to be able to actually create you know create the discussions and the seminars and the summits to actually help us to, you know, because now I'm really intrigued by what is the role of clerics and, and archbishops and so on. Um, if we're looking for them for leadership and so on, but we don't want them getting too involved in politics or it's not appropriate for them to, 
what's the appropriate level of involvement on social media that this is that's fascinating discussion there yeah and i think it's hard to draw some of these lines some some bishops and some priests avoid it altogether which on a certain level is wise however if they are detached from these discussions mm -hmm. they may not know what their parishioners are talking about they might may wind up inviting speakers to their parishes who hold outrageous views mm -hmm. um they may i mean they're they're a lack of awareness also a lack of awareness of what's going on on social media mm -hmm. is a can also be a hindrance it's right. it's sort of a, a lack of knowledge now i i don't know i i sort of have an idea that every every bishop should have a like a social media I don't know if the word is spy, but researcher, social media researcher uh, on their staff to know what these movements are in the church, to know who who is being who's popping up as a big name in the Catholic celebrity world. Or we look at, I mean, Patrick Coffin was the host of, of Catholic Answers for a long time, fairly mainstream conservative Catholic. And then all of a sudden he becomes a conspiracy theorist and a set of a contest. And a lot of people who agreed to appear in that hope is fuel conference that we talked about a few weeks ago had no idea that his views had changed if there were people who were and i mean we do a little bit of this i don't know if the term is watchdogging but we try to stay abreast of who the leading figures are in these different areas mm -hmm. but i don't know where people would turn necessarily to to find out you know potentially dangerous information or I mean, poten potential warning signs about areas about of concerns. Exactly. Good. Well, I think I'm looking forward to also giving this a read myself, and I hope other people can also too. And if they've got additional follow-up thoughts or comments, you can, I'm sure, drop them right below this video. Check out um, and check out where Peter is. I'm sure this is not going to go away. Thanks again, Mike, for the debrief. Um, as we've said during this show, links to the topics are available in the show notes in the description. This conversation is brought to you from smartcatholics.com. It's the free online community for millennials, creators, and learners. Join our private Where Peter Is group to ask questions, share insights, and suggest topics for next time. And visit wherepeteris.com to read articles, commentaries, and spiritual reflections by and for faithful Catholics who support the mission and vision of Pope Francis. Please share this episode with somebody you think will... Um, be interested in this sort of thing, maybe family, friends, hit the subscribe button so that you can follow where Peter is and never miss an episode of The Debrief. And uh, support where Peter is on Patreon. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yeah, we can use the help. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. When it comes to news and controversies in the Catholic Church, stay curious, informed, and engaged. God bless you. Bye.